Welcome to the Life Links Podcast, a Latina podcast for the modern cultura. I'm your host, Consuelo Crosby, Peruana, California native, structural engineer, mother, and your amiga for all things Latina. Here we honor the women who navigate multiple cultures, both aquí and allá, and somewhere in between, providing that safe place for you to speak your truth, celebrate la cultura, and find belonging in this comunidad. Join us every Wednesday on your favorite streaming platform to listen to your new amigas as they share their journeys of lessons learned, barriers they overcome, and the joys of living life with pure authenticity. Encuentras your voice and discover the life meant for you. Hola, chicas. Welcome to our last full-length episode of 2023 and celebrating it with our first Latino guest to set the tone for the new year for camaraderie, advocacy, and loyalty within our comunidad y cultura. So grateful to have you here today at this busy time of year. So we're bringing you positivity and encouragement with a tad of deep emotion. So get cozy and settle in for a brilliant conversation with Vega Montañez, award-winning writer, actor, and director who has changed the archaic stereotype of Hollywood representation of our Latina comunidad in his stories and even the atmosphere on his sets for his actors. Vega Montañez is Dominican and Puerto Rican-American, born in Washington Heights and raised in Providence, Rhode Island. He talks candidly with us about what it was like to straddle so many cultures while discovering his authentic self-identity and the power of his female energy from being raised by his mother and abuelita, who, while we were recording, was making some guest appearances. He openly shares brilliant tips on creating success for any entrepreneur. His first movie, The Hurt We Share, is streaming now on Tubi, and his latest film, The Burden of Nine Lives, just premiered a few weeks ago in New York City. The most powerful point in our conversation is discovering how we as a comunidad can support each other in bypassing the stereotypical American system to highlight our own narrative and talent. So join me in welcoming. Vega Montañez, Latino filmmaker, director, producer, and advocate for creating space for our comunidad on the big screen. Welcome to the Lifelinks podcast. You are our I full <laughs> Latine representative because we lean in towards the Latina population for their voice because it's hard to get a platform where Latinos are given the full mic. However, there is so much intersectional commonality with you, I feel. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It is uh, it is a pleasure and an honor, honestly. I know how much you uh, thought about having me on, so... I hope I deliver for the audience and you don't get a ton of angry mail. <laughs> oh, no. I yeah, no. That is not our comunidad. They love the culture. They love the good parts and are changing the parts that are antiquated and no longer exist. I don't put you in that bucket. There's a lot of antiquated stuff. Like, I think about it all the time. Mm. One of my main co-producers is Alicia Wright, and she's Latina. She's Belizean and Jamaican. And she fights, she fights to be recognized as Latina because people don't recognize Jamaica or Belize as Latino country, but they are. They just don't speak Spanish. Oh, you interesting. Know, um, and I've been working, like even myself, I've been working to push to, to get her more in the forefront and be more of a face of like things that we do because I think that that representation is super necessary. Um, mm -hmm. We just... We just need all of it right now, you know, whether it's male, female, like we just need a full spotlight on what is happening in the Latino community because, and, and I don't think we need a spotlight to non-Latino communities. I think we actually just need a spotlight like from us to us, like, hey, 
Latinos, yes. look at what we are doing because mm-hmm. we all have seen Chris Hemsworth on TV. Right? We watch. <laughs> we are literally the highest rated demographic of people watching movies still and still going to the movie theaters. Right. Mm-hmm. So we just need to show our community of people who are already buying into it. Like, hey, we're here too. <laughs> Right, right. And that I think that's the most difficult part is getting just the idea out there. This is a Latina podcast, and why not? Because there's plenty of other either all male or all white or all everything that is just assumed to be the right way or the successful way. We need, like you say, the camera on us, the mic on us, just to give a story that we all can relate to. And I think it's really powerful. It's not the stereotype story from a white narrative. Right. It's our own story. It's always more fun this way, too, for, for me as a guest, because I feel like there's better questions, right? And it not, mm. and I hope no one listening of the white community takes offense to this, but it's like, it's a communal thing, right? We grew up in, mm-hmm. in certain ways that we understand differently. We, we, when we talk about certain topics, we have a deeper connection to it. So there's just a more interesting dialogue happening than when I'm engaging mm-hmm. with someone who doesn't fully understand the areas that we come from, right? They're like, oh, you grew up in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that like? And it's like, well, it's a little bit deeper <laughs> than I grew up in the Bronx. So the Bronx is a massive borough. And also, I right. grew up in Providence. So, like, you already off to a bad start. Like <laughs> Providence. Okay, well, let's get that out on the airwaves. So, tell us about your heritage and what was it like for you growing up then? Um, it was interesting. So, I'm Dominican um, with a small splash of Puerto Rican because my dad is, is half and half. And I was born in Washington Heights. So I, I grew up the early parts of my childhood. I grew up um, here in the Bronx. I was here until I was about nine, 10 years old. And then we moved to Providence, Rhode Island, where I spent the majority of my adult, like of my of my early development childhood um, from, like I said, 10 to 18, with a little bit of years in there where I was back and forth between New York and Rhode Island, like just because that was life at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in either space, I was surrounded by a Dominican community. I was in the pocket of Dominican. While I was in New York, I was across the bridge from Washington Heights. I'm in uh, the west side of the Bronx, heavily Dominican dominated. Right? Um, and then when I got to Providence, I'm in Washington Park, south side of Providence, Broad Street, which even when I moved there, I didn't realize the name was Broad Street because everyone referred to it as La Broa. So I just assumed the street was L-A-B-R-A. Like, that was just what it was called. <laughs> I feel like I grew up in a very, very Latino-centric space. Um, mm-hmm. But whenever I went to school, it was a different thing, right? Because school was very diverse. Um, Rhode Island is a predominantly white space. So there was a lot mm-hmm. more of that, uh, like, accessible in schools and in camps and in public spaces. Once you left our community space, the numbers mm-hmm. kind of dwindled very quickly. Um, and so it gave me this like opening to kind of interact and engage with all types of people. Um, but it also put me in a space of understanding like I am Dominican American, but I am American, right? Like I grew up here. I was raised here. I understand most of the culture and the way that the world works based on what I've understood from this country, you know? Um, so as I got older, I started really exploring more of like the back heritage and the history behind being Dominican and what that means and what is my family there? Because my grandmother, my mother moved here recently, you know, like my grandmother moved here in her early forties, I would say. And my mom was eight when they got here. You know, uh, it's been a very fun ride trying to find that balance. So where did you find where you were on that? Because I feel like many of us do get on that razor blade edge of, wait, who should I be in this moment? Um, I don't think I, I don't think I, I ended up in the space of like, who should I be in this moment? I actually, and I've talked about this before, where like I, I have a slight, uh, a slight trauma tied to that because I grew up in a space hmm. where I never felt Spanish enough to be accepted fully by the Dominican kids, 
right? So like the kids who were very affluent or new to the country or very in the culture, very, I couldn't really fit with them fully, you know? Um, and then I definitely couldn't fit with the white kids, no matter how much stuff we had in common, right? Like I was a very nerdy kid. I loved, I love MMA. I love, um, you know, card games. I love video games, right? So like I was, it was a very easy community to, to fit into like hobby wise and interest wise. Mm -hmm but I didn't fit there for very obvious reasons. Um, right. And then when we come to the black community, the African-American community, right, I fit in there because of what I look like, my space, the, the space I occupy, how I am presence wise, right? Mm -hmm. But culturally, I am Spanish and there's a difference, mm -hmm. right? Because we mm -hmm. have different histories, right? Like as an African-American with family ties to this country, you're directly tied to slavery and racism and things that, that I experience as just being associated with you, right? But I don't actually have mm -hmm. that history and that understanding of what all of that means. So that for me always felt like it created a barrier. For a long time, mm. I was looking around and just kind of like, nobody wants me. Like, what am I? <laughs> like, wh who do I belong with? You know? <laughs> but that is the cultura first gen <laughs> existence. Yeah. That is a first-gen existence to the T. Like, as an adult, I've met we? way more people who have had that experience as well, which is crazy. Yeah. At a very formative age, I feel, you go through this unknown, this scramble of who am I and where do I belong? And you try to um, fit into, like you say, all these different slots, but you don't fit in. And so then it becomes, who do you embrace yourself as? Who exactly. do you identify yourself as? And if you identify as that, then you are. That's right. nobody else has, you know, judgment on that. And that's I think that's like the strength to take away from it. Right. Like the positive part of that story is because I sat in this middle space where I was like, it doesn't seem like anybody wants me. Right. It kind of grew this fire within me where I was just like, well, now you just have to accept me for who I am everywhere. Like anywhere I show up, you just have to accept that I showed up. And it doesn't matter what category you tie me to, I'm just Vega and Vega showed up. That's it. <laughs> one, one ancestral uh, connection that I feel really often, I want to ask other people if they feel this, but I feel like it's going to make me look crazy. So I'm going to say it here and then it is what it is. <laughs> there you um, go. But like. I'll often be walking by like trees or bushes or greenery, right? And you'll see, like, you'll see these little berries or these little fruits, right? And like innately, like my body just wants to pick it and eat it. But I grew uh -huh, up okay. in a country where that's not possible. So like, why does my body want to do that? Like, <laughs> I've never picked any berries and just ate them, right? But then I look yeah. at like what they do in Dominican Republic and you see kids mm -hmm. who are just mango off the tree peel and we're eating it's like yeah. oh my body's trying to do that <laughs> why does he want to do that dna yes. yeah it doesn't know you're in the bronx and it's right. like why are we starving <laughs> why are we eating that what is wrong with you <laughs> right, look how bright it is you should eat that berry off of the bush and right? like, oh we're in new york bro like that's not edible that's <laughs> poison they're trying to kill us here so let's get into your creative, amazing, successful career at such a young age. It's going um, well. It's going super well. <laughs> and so excited for you. It's amazing. Like, yes, sit in that. You started off in music, though. Yes. So what prompted you to go there? And then how did you segue into the film? And like you say, got behind the camera. Um. So... I will open by saying, although I don't have the best relationship with my father, I'll never take away the moments that he was part of that inspired. Right. So like, you know, growing up when I was living in New York, he DJed on a boat called the floating hospital, which I still tell it even from the kid's perspective as a full grown adult. Like for me, it was just a boat that went around the five boroughs and threw parties to trick homeless <laughs> people to come on and get medicine. So because of his DJing and everything, I got really into DJing and I was like really into the whole party scene and everything at a young age. This is what we can do for a living because it's what my dad does. And then my uncle passed away mm -hmm. and we had already been doing so much with playing with music and everything that 
a couple of my friends, they encouraged me to just write music to help get over the pain. And that was my first return to writing because uh, I had written these short stories and stuff as a child. And I got accused of plagiarism when I was nine. So I was like, well, I don't want to write ever again. <laughs> At nine? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, not until now, but okay. So that okay, was very discouraging. Wow. Um, yeah. Very, very discouraging for me. You think? And, uh, I pulled wow. away from writing entirely. And then right before the pandemic, um, I was supposed to go on a tour. That tour got canceled, but I had already received my deposit. Sure. Um, so I was like, hey, maybe I should consider making a movie. I was already kind of dabbling with film and television a little bit anyway. Um, called one of my friends who had way more experience in filmmaking than I did. And I was like, hey, dude, want to make a movie? He was like, uh, that's kind of crazy to do. I was like, I know, but like, do you want to? <laughs> and he was like, it's you. Let's do it. <laughs> Uh, and that led to The Hurt We Share. Okay, so The Hurt We Share. Was the was my first film, um, and that was the one about mental health, suicide, and depression. I wrote that, directed it. Um, he helped me produce it, helped me shoot it. Our team was like four people, and then all of the actors we had. Um, a great friend of mine and, uh, and motivational speaker, Manny Ventura, uh, he let us use his whole house to shoot the movie. Uh, so that was kind of like the big push. I, there was a point in time where I was like, I want to be in front of the camera. I would love to do that. But it was just a personality thing. Where I'm just like, you're not going to be yelling at me on set because you're the producer or you're the director. That's not uh, respectful. It's not how you treat people for the way that I was raised, right? Like, it's not how you interact with people. I'm very, very influenced by my mom super heavily, right? So one of the things that was very influenced was like, be comfortable being yourself right but also like mm -hmm. have a certain level of self-respect and so for the way that i grew up and the way i was raised like self-respect isn't an outward thing it's just in how you allow people to interact with you right you know as, as an actor depending on where you are in the film you get treated differently you know so there were there's some moments where i was treated like a very important person on set and like everyone's catering to me and then there were moments where I'm getting an email at 12 o'clock at night telling me I need to be on set at six o'clock in the morning and it's an hour away from my house. It's like, that's not <laughs> respectful to people at all, you know? Um, so that was really the biggest, like, final factor that transitioned me to behind the camera, which I'm super thankful for that like, I get to be a writer, director, I get to be the person making those decisions. I get to influence that level of respect that I didn't feel was given to me or that I feel was given to other actors. I try not to be that way on my set. Try to make sure that they're all fun and everybody gets treated equal and no one feels like somebody who's on set is a bigger star than them. So they're getting different privileges or anything like, no, we're all in this together. It's a team effort. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So here you come in with this break. Is it your personality? Is it generational? Is it the cultura? Is it all a blend of it? to come out with this different style? I feel like it's a blend of my innate personality and nature, right? Like, because as people, I feel like we all have our own individual personalities and like these archetypes of variables that you just never know what you're going to get from a person. Um, and then combine that with like the way I was raised and the upbringing and, and the communication between my mom and my grandmother and my aunts, right? Always implementing the idea of like, Treat others how you want to be treated. This is a twofold thing, right? I'm showing you how I want to be treated by treating you this way, right? Like by being kind to you, by being supportive, by being available. Um, and I just want that back. And this is how we create a nice ecosystem, right? So my final message back is like, you could do the same thing. You could also go out and make your own movie. Yeah. You could also go out and write a script. Like you could also have the freedom in your life that you're looking for, right? because we're all people. So what are steps for the creatives out there listening um, to actually start to feel like, just do it, like you say? Oh, 
You opened the you one opened this step. up with <laughs> you opened this up right out the gate with one of my most controversial <laughs> thoughts and opinions. Oh, <laughs> um, I love it! Oh, we so, got right to the core, <laughs> right to it. Um, yes. So, I am of the belief that people take on too many things at the same time, right? Like uh, you can't do a million things at once, right? You can only do one thing at a time, right? And you know, I get a lot of pushback and like, no, you can't tell people to limit themselves or stuff. I'm, like, I'm not asking you to limit yourself. I'm asking you to focus, right? Like pick one thing that you can focus on for the next 90 days, right? Like this is just my personal metric, right? Okay. Focus on this thing for 90 days. If after 90 days of focusing on this thing, you don't see any type of results that you feel good about, it's time to move on from that thing. Right. And I feel like the world has shown us this entire mentality over and over. Right. Like if you start a new job at a company today, you get a 90 day probation period. Right. If oh. you are released from prison, you get a 90 day parole period where if you breathe the wrong way, you go right back. Right. Like everything is structured mm. on that. So if you set your goals the same way, I think that's the first place to start. I see a lot of rich people telling you just chase all your things, right? Or I see a lot of people advising you to not have one, just not have all your eggs in one basket, have all these different sources of income, right? Mm -hmm. But none of the rich people got there by doing that. They all mm -hmm. had one source of income. It got them to a place where they can afford to add another, so they did. And then it got them to a place where they could afford to add another, so they did, right? Meanwhile, you see a lot of people who are out and they're like, I'm a multi-hyphenate. And it's like, no, that's not an actual description. Right? Like, <laughs> what are you? What do you do for your work? What is your career? Right? Like, are you an actor? Are you a writer? Are you a director, a producer, a musician, a writer, a teacher? Right? Like, what is that thing that you're doing? Because you just pick one, you can get really good at it. And then once you're good at one, you can do whatever you want with the other. They open that, mm -hmm. that one success opens the door for so many more things. No, oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And that's actually beyond societally modeled. It's actually scientific. I said this a lot. It's like one of my earliest podcasts that it takes your brain 30 days to um, memorize, lock in a new habit. So for 30 days, you have to work at the same thing over and over again to make it automatic to your brain. Right. But it takes 90 days for your brain to just assimilate it. Right. Like after 90 days, it becomes like breathing. And it's it no longer a norm. a norm. It no longer is a, a conscience effort. You're, You're just, just doing, doing it. it. And with mm -hmm. that, therefore, maybe the fear goes away. And that's the other part of it. So we end up spreading ourselves too thin, right? Like if you're thinking about all these different things you want to do, mm -hmm. you're thinking about who to network in this space and you're thinking about who to network in this space, what event to go to in this space. You have you have multiple buckets for every single space. If you mm. just turn your attention to one, now you can focus on that. And who knows, in two weeks, you went through everything that you put on the list and now you have a whole new list of things you need to do for that project, right? But uh. for that one project versus just pouring a little bit into each one. It'll, you know, I'm, I'm very aligned with the idea of like hyper-focus on your thing and get that done and then move on. That has come up a lot as part of the cultura where we are really raised and whether it's the circumstances in the family, whether it's the actual culture, um, but you are raised to be there ready to help everybody. And it becomes, from an early age, it's just your psyche, therefore. Exactly. That, and we see that as a sense of pride and a sense of strength and a sense of being a good person. And, and rarely, if ever, until we're burned out and fried on the floor, do we say, wait, uh, right. I need help. Right. When the cup is fully empty, yes. we're like, I'm thirsty now. <laughs> <laughs> Every mm. business has like the starting point, right, where... All of your business is being supported and loved through family and friends and all of this, right? Mm. And, you, and then you have the ending point where like you have a massive business and everyone in the world knows who you are and it's all going great, right? As you're getting to there, you approach this middle point where you kind of end up in this space. And I sometimes feel like this myself where you end up in this space where it's like, 
things have gone so well that you fear turning back and asking for help because you don't want to be brought down any notches, right? But you can't actually move forward because there's a massive gap. It's not like a set of staircase to get to the next one. Yeah. The whole leap you have to take that yeah. you may not be able to take yet. So you just kind of sit in this middle space and just like, mm. well, any day now, this is either going to all fall apart or it's all going to go great. <laughs> Oh, and if right. you just asked for help and, and got you just that asked for help, you never know. Boost, then you could you can make that leap. Right. Oh, isn't that something? And again, automatically we just take it upon ourselves as oh no, see here's where I fail. Oh right. wow. Or love or that. like some one of my friends addressed recently, you know, in, mm. in our culture specifically, coming from the places we come from specifically, mm-hmm. there you develop a sense of unrealistic responsibility where it's like look how far I've made it. I am now the beacon of hope for my people. I can't Truth. show them that it's not working because then they might lose hope, right? And like so that, that egotistical approach, which I think is natural, like you have to get to that place, especially if you care about your people, you care about where you came from, right? You want to, mm-hmm. like myself with my students, when I think about the kids I teach, it's like every choice I make is going to impact those kids believing in themselves, right? So if I right. give up on something... How is that going to look to the kids who are trying to learn from me how to do this? Mm. So being that and then in those moments, it's like, okay, how can I ask for help without it reflecting negatively to the people who are looking at? And I think that there's different layers of what people get stuck in, but you get to that space where you're just really nervous about asking for help. (laughs) Yeah, yes. No, it's it's definitely, I think it comes up on every single episode almost. And it's here. It came up here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It so is we all need to ask for more help, guys. Let's do it. <laughs> right. Right. We need to lean in, ask for help from someone who's not already overburdened. <laughs> and for anyone who is, say no. <laughs> yes. Yes. And learn to say, get comfortable with saying no. Like say we all no. understand no means no, but I don't think all of or us understand yet. you can say no. Yeah. Like, you can say no. Let's talk about these amazing movies um how many have you done now um so i have had the privilege of directing officially five movies four features and one short unofficially uh somewhere around eight or not yeah it's been been a crazy crazy ride especially for how fast it's all happened like you know i transitioned into film um late 2019 early 2020 and it's late 2023 right and for me it's just the mentality, the approach that I use is is so different. Um, mm-hmm. And I can say that confidently because everyone tells me it's different. Are they culturally centric? What story are you telling through your movies? Um, I like to believe that they're culturally centric because I believe I'm telling stories based on experiences that I've either had or shared. So with The Her We Share, uh, that one was directly inspired by a friend of mine um, taking his life, unfortunately, he was a photographer. And uh, and with that film, I just wanted to kind of shed a light on the realness of suicide and depression. And, and I hope, you know, when people watch it, they understand this. For me, what I wanted to really put on display with that was the experience that I had that I feel like other people had, where it's like, no matter how many positive things you say to me, my head is in such a dark space and my heart is in such a dark space. It's all translating negative, right? You can tell me you love mm-hmm. me, but then my heart translates to, but do you love me as much as this person? Or do you love me no. as much as you love this other person, right? So like, I wanted to put that on display and show people like, this is when you're looking at someone who's struggling with depression, this is potentially what's going on, right? No matter how much positivity you bring to their life, Everything negative is so much more powerful that they reshape things that happen and make them negative. And then uh, Nico, which was which is one I wrote but didn't direct, was inspired by a young man that was killed here in the Bronx um, a few years ago. And just the way that his story resonated with me around the idea of community, right? Like, what does our community look like when... Mm-hmm. In a, in a block that's 99% dominated by Latinos and by Dominicans, 
we all watched as this kid traveled bleeding out of all parts of his body because he was stabbed up and cut up running to the hospital and no one stopped to help him. Right. So I didn't tell his exact story, but I created a story around that with that kind of being the forefront. Like what is wrong with us that we can allow something like this to happen and nobody wants to get involved? Like what is the place we've gotten to as a community that it's better to mind your business than it is to support someone going through struggle? So that was a big element for me with that. Um, that's a that's a big one. Um, they're both big, and I'm so sorry about your friend and your experiences. Um, you really hit the emotions on that one. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry guys. Yeah, I didn't mean to take no, you on such an not. emotional trip. <laughs> no, I, no. I I think that's the beauty of it. I mean, that is the beauty is just talking so frankly. You give an avenue through the film, the hurt we share, you provide that avenue to talk about this, to talk about it openly. And the emotion comes from like a sigh of relief, like, oh, we can talk about this. Because again, in the cultura, oh, you do not talk about this. You do not frame this as something you're experiencing you do not talk about someone who's gone through it um it's so removed did any of that come into the idea um maybe subconsciously that we need to talk about this as a culture it was a forefront thought entirely the most powerful moment at that premiere for me was one of my friends uh husband who i don't know her husband super well Mm -hmm. But she's like a childhood friend. We grew up together. So they came to the premiere uh, and he came up to me after the movie, just bawling his eyes out. Like I had to join him in crying because it was so powerful. Um, And he was like, dude, like I've been your main character. Oh, and I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> wow. Like, I didn't think at my first premiere I was going to get that. I figured like globally that was going to happen eventually. But right here. In my own circle of people, my yeah. friend's husband yeah. is saying, I've been your character. And that was a very, very pivotal moment for me. The Burden of Nine Lives tells the story of Jimmy Diaz, who is in this space in life where I feel like as a Latino man, we've all been there before, where you're kind of lost. You don't know what the best next step is. You just know something needs to change in your financial situation. So through that, he gets uh, looped in with some cousins who invite him to go commit a robbery of a warehouse. Um, And they do this and they rob the biggest drug dealer, Kingpin, in the city who automatically calls for their murder. Right. So two of his cousins get killed. Jimmy manages to survive. From that point, It's a conversation. And I think this point, I did do a decent job from the feedback we've gotten. Um, It's a conversation around, is revenge worth it? Is Mm. revenge ever worth it? Like, yes, I wholeheartedly understand the idea of like, yo, you killed two of my cousin around something that could have just been a conversation. Yes, you need to die too. But is that actually the right response? Is that how we should deal with things? Right? Mm. And throughout the film, seeing the contrast of all the different people ruining their own lives, trying to deal with revenge. So I think if anyone watches the film and can resonate with that, I feel great about the story because I was setting out to do a commercial movie anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think you can. You're too intelligent for a commercial. Yeah, no, now now I've accepted. Like, I don't know if it's intelligence, (laughs) skill set, or what it is, but the way that I like to tell stories doesn't leave me space for overly um, simplified. Simplified. Mm -hmm. Right. The reason we met is you graciously reached out to me, but we met by making comments on the Latino filmmakers Instagram post. Mm -hmm about the presence of, uh, or lack thereof, of the Latino community in Hollywood. 
And, you know, that's just a given. And both our comments are, why are we trying to get into Hollywood? Then going forward into your own filmmaking, is this what you're bringing forward in the stories? Is is it the element of the cultura in your stories? Is it the point of view? Is it the representation? What are you bringing in your films that you offer to the Latino community? Like, I'm glad you brought up the comment because expressing myself vocally is where I'm better. What I was really implying with the comment is there's no reason that a platform like Latino Filmmaking mm -hmm. should have 25 back-to-back -back posts about all the things wrong with Hollywood and not a single post about any of the filmmakers in New York doing amazing things. Any of the filmmakers in Hollywood doing amazing things. The only time they highlight us mm -hmm. is if Hollywood highlights us. If one of us wins Cannes, then we get attention. If one of us wins the New York Latino Film Festival, then we get attention. If one of us wins uh, an Emmy, an Oscar, one of us gets on Hulu, yes. then we get attention. And for the premiere we just had November 11th, right. I made that comment seven days before the film premiere. I had a back and forth in messages with the Latino filmmaker social media page. Nobody from that organization showed up to the premiere. What mm. are you bringing to the table? Right. What are you actually bringing to the table? You're just adding more noise to the conversation because you're not doing anything that's changing anything. The lead actor for Burden of Nine Lives is 100% Dominican, right? And he is mm -hmm. fully light-skinned like you, where it's easy to confuse him for someone who's not Latino. Right. Mm -hmm. the lead, one of the mm -hmm. lead actors for Nico, um, Anderson Tejera, he is also full blood Dominican. Like we went to the Dominican Film Festival and the reporters were skipping over him because they assumed he didn't speak Spanish. Show up, highlight the people that should be on this list, highlight the people that should be getting acknowledged. That's how we make the difference, because the same way all of us are paying attention to your page and chiming in when there's negative shit happening. Yeah. We would do the same if you put up a poster of someone's movie coming out. Yeah. But they it don't. It would be more positive. It's positive energy. Right. Like, Let's put out the positivity. Every major platform has highlighted and covered every Latino film or television product when it got canceled. None of those oh. platforms, none of those platforms covered that same project while it was shooting or oh. when it went into development or when mm. it started casting. Wow. But they highlighted when it got canceled. Okay. That's problematic. That is horribly <laughs> problematic. Is, but I have to say, have you been following the Latina greatly populated Instagram accounts that is, speak to the culture? Because I'm a little biased, but they are very supportive. They are. They have been to, very supportive. I'm trying supported. to find more of those because I will like, send it's, it's some hard, your way. I would way. love to find those because I think that's where we need to be connected for sure. For sure. Like I want to connect with those people more than anything else. Because they definitely will highlight like they would talk about your grandfather. Whoa, an internationally known mathematician speak more. And right. they will seek out the positivity and and put the spotlight, put the spotlight on the filmmakers, on the actors. And that's why I want to give a huge shout out um, mm. to SomosLife.org because I reached out to them and within a couple of days, they were like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We can definitely share that. Uh, just send us some details. And I went through the platform. I graciously and super happy I joined the, the platform as a member. Um, and then they included the Burden of Nine Lives premiere in the very next email blast that went out. Wow. Right. Wow. Okay. Where do we go to find, or do we need more platforms to find Latino filmmakers from uh, the scale that you're talking about, from a scale like you are streaming on platforms, you are award-winning, and yet where can people find you? Right. Um, that's a really great point, right? Because right now, the Her We Share is available on Tubi. 
Um, we're in negotiation to get um, Nico and Burden into some other platform. That's kind of the issue, right? It's mm-hmm. like the audiences are on American platforms, right? You have a Netflix subscription. You have a Hulu subscription, right? You probably have an Amazon. Maybe you have Paramount. Maybe you have Peacock, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But are you watching all black? Right. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. the equivalent of all black for Latino? How do we as movie watchers support indie Latino filmmakers like yourself? How do we um, where do we get educated? Where do we find you? That is where I say part of that work falls heavily on us as creatives, because mm. now as filmmakers, we have to get comfortable saying I was still successful because my movie made it to Tubi versus saying, damn, I only made it to Tubi yes. on the next one I got to get to Apple, right? Yes. Because if we as creative start treating these platforms more respectfully, then the mm. audience will start treating it more respectfully, right? Mm-hmm. If, if the audience is starting to feel that energy from us that we look at this platform as a B-list platform, they're going to look at it as a B-list platform, Right. If we right. treat it, if we treat these platforms with more respect, that's how I think that transition. So that's why, like, when you asked it, I was like, damn, it's not on you guys. It's really a lot more on us as the creators to mm-hmm. show you which platforms are valuable. So in mm-hmm. that part of it, yes, we are educating you and you have to be receptive to the education, but we have to show you which platforms are valuable. We have to tell you, hey, my movie is on Tubi. Go download Tubi. There's other great movies on there too, right? You're not just Uh, doing it to support me. You're doing it because you're going to find amazing stuff on there that you're going to love. Right. right. We have to start believing that as creatives. And I thank you for asking me that because it gave me that that moment to really think about it and and really address and understand. Like we have to make these platforms popular. The the platforms aren't making our films popular. We're making the platforms popular. No. Yes. We can cause disruption. And I think we need to, as a community, the Latina community, we need to disrupt and do it ourselves. Like you said, just do it ourselves. Don't be worried about failure in the American mindset because there is so much success to be had when you just do it out of your own intelligence, out of your own vivacity. There's two big things that you brought to my mind with that. Like, I have to address how thankful I am for the community of people around me because that everything you described is what I felt at our most recent film premiere, where it was like, I just kept looking around and Mm -hmm. going, wow, we have almost 300 people in, right? Mm -hmm, No mm -hmm. one's had any type of negative interaction. Everyone's just having fun and loving each other and Mm -hmm. meeting each other and connecting, right? And I have, I've got people I grew up with in the hood in here. I've got sponsors that I'm meeting for the first time because we've only ever met through Zoom and they gave us money to help make this movie. I've got product owners like they they paid us to put their products in this movie and they're here mm-hmm. on the red carpet and they're mingling with all these people and like everything just feels so communally correct. Like it just yes. feels like this is what I want to to see throughout my career as it goes. You know, it's just this group of of just community always just feeling collectively together. Okay, so I'm going to flash this to you because I was thinking about this. Talking about my lovely Latina guests and my lovely Latina listeners. Um, I was thinking about you when you were talking about your movies. And we talk about its presence, its cultural importance to tell our story and to support the community. So I was thinking, I have a lot of women who are on the podcast who are entrepreneurs who are having their own product, are authors. And so one of them, I was thinking, well, goodness, I just have it because I have hers. So I have this ring of color. So this is... Lipstick. It's lipstick. So ring of color, Melissa Polanco. She owns this um, beauty brand. And I was thinking, well, goodness, product placement... Yeah, I could see this being in a movie. Absolutely. And supporting Latina um, 
and the Latina populations out there with their own products. If we're making our own movies and we're making our own stories, now just open it up. I mean, how sexy would this be if you see Ring of Color and you're like, yes. I'm just and saying. That's, that's the thing that I want. Um, I don't know if this is where you were going with it, but it's uh, where I'm kidnapping it to. Yes, <laughs> kidnap away. Don't hold me for ransom. Don't hold me for ransom. Plus, Melissa is Dominican. Just exactly. so you know, <laughs> this is this is a match made in heaven. You're gonna do that movie in Dominican Republic, and they're gonna be on the beach with a ring of color. I'm just saying. You just I'm putting you just it spoke, out there. Hey, Melissa, you just gotta get get in touch with me. We gonna make something work because yes. that is that sounds amazing to me. The whole right? movie in VR is a vacation movie. And we have a group of four girls that's going to be part of that as well. So there's the whole beauty. I mean, it's a thing, you know. It's coming. Could, it's coming your so, way. And that that's literally as simple as it is. Like I tell people all the time, <laughs> it's just about having the conversation. Like, don't be afraid of the conversation because you never know where it's going to go. And that is why we love a Latino storyteller. Not giving us all the slasher, but giving us that emotional strike to the heart we love it right we appreciate you we totally celebrate your your success your artwork your films i'm so excited to have you in my future i would just want to see more <laughs> of what's coming and we are going to meet in person for sure yes, we i'm are. gonna be that yes, new york you. dominican i'm there <laughs> <laughs> i love it love it awesome oh i love this yes. i love you this has been a blast. Yes, and great way to start today for me. So <laughs> you have that great upbringing with Abuelita and your mom and bringing that female energy forward and really teaching us some great life lessons on business and how, you know, finding yourselves to break and not even break through. I think we spend too much energy breaking through, but bypassing that American bypassing. system. That is huge. And we really appreciate you offering so much of your experience, so much of your knowledge, not being the gatekeeper and presenting it out there. And we will totally support all of your movies. You already are. Just having me here is so much support. There you have Vega Montañez. And although he has so many professional attributes, we will follow his model of emphasizing the one big thing that is flying high for him right now, and that is Latino director, leading with his female energy to create equity in the profession, respect to his actors and sets, and most importantly, opportunity to share the stories and voice for the comunidad with heart, complexity, and compassion. He definitely breaks the stereotype of our past experiences within the cultura when it comes to men in leadership roles. Did you see it coming? I honestly did not. Absolutely did not. Even confessed it to him face to face. And did you celebrate how much his personality and upbringing absolutely disrupts the antiquated idea of filmmaking, Hollywood, and how the Latina population is viewed in the obsolete mindset of American film industry. Vega is the light we can follow and illuminate in positivity for his efforts and talent in moving the Latina film industry forward in pride and love for its cultura. Now remember his first film, The Heart We Share, is streaming on Tubi opening the discussion within the comunidad regarding depression and suicide. Definitely a valuable space for us to sit with in conversation that we were not allowed to have in our parents' homes. I would love to watch this with you all because of needing some major emotional support during the movie that's not one I generally would watch alone. So here's my thoughts. How about doing a watch party together while streaming it on Tubi. I would love to set this all up for you and see how many we can have join us on each watch party. We just get that popcorn going. I see some red wine, all the cozies, something or someone to snuggle up to because 
this one's going to take us to places that we have not frequented before in our culture. That way we're all there for each other. We're there for Vega. And like he says, we are going to make these platforms pop for our Latina filmmaking creatives. Like Vega says, the platforms don't make our movies popular. We make the platforms popular, creating more space for Latina filmmakers and their beautiful talent to be seen regularly in our lives. So I'll def get on that in the new year. And as we wrap up 2023, I just want to send abrazos to all of you for making this podcast your choice for discovering the amazing Latinas in our comunidad, embracing and relating to their journeys and creating a safe place to encuentras your voice. And to our fabulous guests that share their time and energy to speak their truth, I am forever grateful to you and consider you part of my family for life. We will have one final wrap-up next week, just days before Christmas, and my daughter's birthday. So yes, the celebration remains huge in our household for our familia. Next week, we will offer our manifestations for 2024, share the joy from 2023, and bring a major surprise to you all. So tune in on December 20th for our sparkling toast to you, our guests, our listeners, and our comunidad. So please remember to share this podcast with your friends and family, share it on your social media accounts, and even schedule a chat with me through the link in bio in our Instagram profile at Lifelinks Podcast. That's L-N-X-X. And I would really appreciate you leaving a review on Spotify, sharing the love, and following us so you don't miss a single episode of our fabulous guests. If we want to have our voices heard, we need to listen when they speak. Encuentras your voice and step into your truth, ladies. Ciao! Really appreciate the time you take to rate and review the podcast. Get the backstory and what you've heard here today and reach out on our website at lifelinks.com. That's L-N-X-X. Because it's about time, it's about us. Stay in the groove on our social media at Lifelinks and get ready to make your move, ladies. Viva!